0: The following is a presentation of the Sovereign Tech podcast feed.
1: Ready for your weekly tech fix? Want to know how technology sets us free? Well, get ready, because here it comes. You're listening to Sovereign Tech, with your host, entrepreneur and technophile, Brian Sovereign. He's got a huge brain.
0: And now, here's Brian. What, what is causing all this? It is I, Brian Sovereign, here with you for another episode of Sovereign Tech. Just coming off of a great, great episode with Mike Elgin, uh, the digital nomad, a tech, a giant in the tech journalism field. If you haven't heard that episode, uh, head to the SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash Sovereign Tech, and you can check it out, or you can go to SovereignTech.com and find it there and find great ways to get connected to the show. Uh, a couple things that I want to, I want to bring up, um, about SovereignTech.com. One is, is that if you're curious what the wonderful Stephanie Murphy studio, Stephanie Murphy being the hyper-intelligent and lovely producer of Sovereign Tech, uh, and of course she has her own show, which you hear an ad for often, which is Pork Therapy at PorkTherapy.com, P-O-R-C-Therapy.com. Now, if you go to SovereignTech.com, it'll actually link to a page from PorkTherapy.com which shows what equipment is actually used and what, you know, what makes up the, the studio that I'm doing this in and that she does it in. And, um, it's really, really informative. And I, you know, I get a lot of compliments on the sound, uh, of this show that the, the quality sounds really, really good. Well, all that credit goes to, you know, goes to Stephanie Murphy, uh, which is just amazing. And, Uh, another thing is that also you'll see now that these, the links I'm telling you about right now, they're on the right hand side of the page. You'll, you'll see little, uh, you know, little links that you can choose as well as being able to connect to various forms of social media. There's a page for that. There's a page that takes you to LRN.fm where you can learn about that. Um, as well as, you know, I mean, a lot of people ask, you know, how can I donate to the show? Well, I don't really accept donations for Sovereign Tech, but I do, um, you know, I do want to point you to areas where if you want to, you know, help with, with podcasts and, and with making sure this studio runs well and then making making sure that this gets out there well enough, like through sources, like radio stations, like LRN.FM. Um, I'll make, you know, those are available to you. The LRN.FM, you can, you know, there, there's ways to donate to, to LRN. Um, and then also there's another, there's another link. The last link on the page actually takes you to Amazon, And what that does is that takes you through the Amazon link, um, for pork therapy, which in turn helps with this studio. Everything in the studio has been gotten through, through those kind donations and through the, you know, through those, through using the Amazon link and everything. Um, so please, if you do want to donate to Sovereign Tech, uh, if you want to help the show out, that's how you can help, um, is by helping LRN and, and more importantly, uh, you know, helping out with, with, with the studio here, uh, through, through Stephanie's pork therapy, the uh, Amazon link. So thank you very much for that. If you want to do that, I want to just real quick again, I've been talking about it a couple weeks. Again, I had Mike Elgin on last week. It was fantastic. Uh, great, great guest to have. And he uses Google plus a lot. Okay. Google plus is the Google social networking system. Um, and I'm really, this show is going kind of full bore, on Google plus. Now, I mean, sovereigntechcom will always be the main hub, you know, for everything you want sovereign tech, but the, the Google plus page, that's really where things are going to be happening. You can go to G plus dot T O not.com dot T O slash sovereign tech. And that'll take you to the Google plus page, add it to your following circle, uh, or whatever you like. And I mean, there's, there's going to be tons of stuff there. Videos, um, actually the show will be out and this is this episode here will probably be the first one um the show will be released a day early normally it comes out on fridays but it's actually going to be coming out on thursdays through the youtube channel at the google plus sovereign tech page so if you want to if, if you're just dying to hear this week's episode that is the place to go um on Friday, it'll be released regularly on SoundCloud, so you can download it with your podcatcher. You can listen to it on SoundCloud, and I'll announce it on Facebook and obviously on SovereignTech.com on Friday. All that'll be there, but if you want to catch it early, hit the Google Plus page, and that'll take you to the YouTube, um, the, the YouTube posting of the show. So really, really exciting stuff. I really want to make Google Plus. I, I kind of see Google Plus as like the, the Wild West Of of the internet, you know, there's just so much going on and it's so chaotic that everything ends up turning beautiful, turning up beautiful, you know, because there's no, there's not a whole lot of control there. Um, Also, they're a lot better about like posting adult stuff, which is great for me. I mean, I post pretty adult stuff on my Facebook page anyway, but Google Plus just kind of like lets you have at it. Um, Google Plus does have flaws. It, it, You know, it doesn't allow for a lot of uh, they don't they haven't released their API. So not a lot of things can work with it uh, out of the gate like they would with Facebook or Twitter but it's, I think Google plus is really the future. So I I just want to push that, um, you know, uh, that's G plus G P L U S dot T O slash sovereign tech. And you'll find that there. We also have a community, the sovereign tech Balnea on Google plus, which, uh, you know, that, that gets active here and there, but the more people that use it, the more active it becomes. And I'll always be watching sovereign Tech's what I do. Okay. So the Rembrandt of the podcast canvas is now ready to really get into the show. And to open open it up, we've got a great, uh, great little story. And what this is, is from Gizmodo. And it's by Hunter Scott, a great blogger. And it's, could the ancient Romans have built a digital computer? Now, many of you may know that Uh, I have kind of an affinity with the Romans. I don't actually have an affinity. Like, I mean, you know, no culture has ever been perfect, not any culture that we're aware of. Um, but I do have affinity for, for ancient cultures in that they were far more sexually open. Um, they were far more real quick. I, I posted on the sovereign tech, um, Facebook page that March was masturbation was, it was international masturbation month and I was wrong. It was actually May will be International Masturbation Month, and we will announce it in May. Um, and But you know what? Masturbate anyway, because you don't need a month to be declared to, to allow for masturbation. I mean, I like the idea of masturbation awareness, you know, I guess. But just masturbate anyway as many times as you want a day. It It doesn't hurt, really. Um, Anyway, okay. So back to the story. Uh, Yeah. So with ancient cultures, I do have a certain uh, perhaps fetish with ancient cultures, uh, just because I thought that they were so much more socially liberal uh, than we are now. They were not good to their kids. You know, I'm not not saying that, which is a very important uh, uh, aspect to to liberty. Okay is how children are treated. Um, but in a lot of ways they were way ahead of the they're they're ahead of the times of now. they're they're ahead of modern times in just how accepting they were of a lot of things uh, and etc. and and th- this this article raises some interesting questions. so let's get right to it. Could the ancient Romans have built a digital computer? Now, it says digital computer because actually an analog computer was already made, the Antikytheria mechanism, uh, which they theorizes from the first century BCE. Um, but you can you can look that up on, on Wikipedia, and, and that's an interesting story. Anyway, here we go. The Romans were undoubtedly master engineers. They were experts at civil engineering, building roads, improving sanitation, inventing Roman concrete, and constructing aqueducts that adhere to tolerances uh, impressive even by today's standards. Perhaps the best evidence of their aptitude is the fact that many of those structures still stand today, almost 2,000 years later. That's very true, the Colosseum, go down the list. They even began dabbling in technology vastly ahead of their time. Hero of Alexandria drew up plans for a rudimentary steam engine in his Spiritalia Su Pneumatica. He called it the *Alopile*. It didn't work very well. However, by the late 3rd century AD, uh, AD or CE, All essential parts for constructing a steam engine were known to Roman engineers. Hero's steam power, the crank and connecting rod mechanism uh, in the Harriapolis sawmill, the cylinder and piston in metal force pumps, uh, non-return valves in water pumps, and gearing in Uh, watermills. That got me thinking. Could the Romans have built a digital computer using only the technology and manufacturing processes available to them? The Roman empire did incredible things with the relatively limited knowledge and resources at their uh, disposal. Um, however, or Hunter Scott, however, looks one step farther than, than the Romans could have ever dreamed. Okay. So that's just admitting, you know, maybe they, they didn't realize this, but he, but this, the, the blogger Hunter Scott has taken it to the next level. Maybe the first thing you could, you would think of is a mechanical computer like the Babbage difference engine. Okay. Now this will be linked to in the show notes, uh, this article and there's pictures here of the difference engine. And this is an interesting, really, really interesting thing. And the article is going to talk about it, but there's also a fiction novel written by, uh, uh, William Gibson and co-written by Bruce Sterling called the difference engine, an amazing book at the possibilities. If you're like a steampunk fan, it is, it's, it, it's like the Rosetta stone of steampunk. It's, it's so good. Um, Anyway, we'll keep going. While it's a beautiful piece of engineering, it's actually not a computer. It's a calculator. Charles Babbage did design a mechanical computer called the Analytical Engine. It's never been built because it would take up an entire room and be extremely expensive. I don't think the Romans could have built the Analytical Engine or other purely mechanical computer uh, because of the tolerances required. I don't know much about their manufacturing abilities, but I know they didn't do a lot of it and imported most things. Of course, they had a huge empire. I couldn't find the tolerances needed for the Harvard Mark I, an electromechanical computer, but I'm hesitant to believe that they could have built that either. It's hard to know how precise manufacturing techniques were back then, but one of the best clues we have is the Antikytheria mechanism, which we talked about earlier. It uses hand-cut gears that are surprisingly precise but still probably not good enough for a mechanical computer. I would kind of argue that, but that's just me. Uh, Small inaccuracies in the gear trains would add up, and this is evident in the the Antikytheria mechanism. It would be even more pronounced in a room-sized contraption and would almost certainly prevent any useful calculations from being performed. If the Romans couldn't do it mechanically they would have needed a semiconductor. When most people think of semiconductors, they think of clean rooms and millions of dollars of machinery. However, that kind of equipment is only needed for high performance semiconductors used in modern integrated circuits with high speed, high efficiency switching. It turns out that naturally occurring semiconductors are actually quite common. Minerals like zincite, boronite and uh, carborundum will work. However, the best mineral to use is lead sulfide, AKA galena. Uh, It it would be used with without any modification directly after mining. It's got a band gap of about uh, 0.4 EV. Uh, ancient societies knew all about Galena and the Egyptians used it as makeup. They could have easily made a, a cat's whisker diode by using a small piece of springy wire to touch a point on the Galena crystal creating a crude and unstable med- metal semiconductor junction called a shoddy uh, a sh- yeah, shot key barrier diode. Currently, Current will flow from the metal into the Galena, but not the other way around. This is the same technique that we used in early crystal radio receivers. POWs in World War II used the oxidation on razor blades as a semiconductor and a safety pin to create a diode so they could build receivers to keep up to date with uh, news on the war. It took a lot of patience to find a perfect spot on the blade that would work, and likewise, it would take time to poke the Galena with the wire in different spots to find a place that would act as a diode. If they could have built a diode, could they have built a transistor? Again, this this is all, you know, a a skeleton look at at what exactly, you know, what it takes to make these things work. Uh, The first transistor that Bell Labs built, although not the first transistor ever built, was point contact and looked pretty similar to the Cat's Whisker diode. Instead of a single point, they had two, each formed by the contact of the edge of a piece of gold foil onto a hunk of germanium. Uh, A simpler version of this can be done by basically building a cat's whisker diode, but using two springy wires touching two different spots in the Galena. So couldn't the Romans have just modified their diodes to make transistors? In my opinion, no. When Bell Labs was experimenting with transistors, they tried making a Galena's cat whisker version and ran into some problems. Uh, To being transisting, quote unquote, the whisker tips had to be closer than 0.1 millimeters. They also found that they had to use freshly cleaved Galena services and any humidity would interfere. So if there was any kind of moisture or whatever, it's over. They had to make extremely sharp whiskers by dissolving the ends with electrolysis. Now, I don't want to underestimate the Romans. Maybe they could have trained workers to be that precise or come up with some other way of solving the problem, but we're going to take it easy on them because there's a better way to get around the problem of no transistors. The Romans knew how to make a, how to make wire and also knew how to make work iron. So now the question is, can you build a computer using only diodes, wire, and iron? Well, prior to 1953, no computers used transistors. They used, like, vacuum tube stuff. Anyway, the the Romans knew how to work glass, but it's unlikely they could have manufactured vacuum tubes, which I just said. Um, while a lot of early computers did use vacuum tubes, they often also relied on diode logic. There are two major problems you have to solve with diode, diode logic. First, diodes have a voltage drop across them, which means you need to amplify the signal every so often. Early designers solved this problem using transistors as amplifiers. The second problem is that you can't design a NOT gate, an inverter that is, uh, using only diodes. Designers got around this problem also by using transistors or vacuum tubes, so how could the Romans have done it without transistors? Well you can build an inverter using a transformer by simply flipping the secondary output wires around. A transformer is just a square iron ring with wire wrapped around each side. You have to use discrete pulses rather than continuous logic levels, but that's how everyone did it in the 40s and 50s. To solve the amplification problem, you can use a relay. You can make a relay using only iron and wire, uh, but they're often small, intricate devices and they have moving parts. I think if they recruited Roman jewelry makers and scaled the size so it was reasonable to work with, they could could have produced relays there are some really impressive pieces of roman jewelry that have been found the image is too large to embed here but take a look at the chain on this piece okay so again this will be in the show notes and you can check it out Uh, they also would have needed to make memory a way to preserve the state of the machine the obvious candidate here is core memory most core memory was made using ferrite but regular iron can be used I won't go into detail here on how core memory works because Wikipedia has a good article on it. If you're not familiar, I recommend checking it out. It's a really neat idea. Incidentally, you can also make logic using ferrite cores like the Elliott 803 did, so that could be useful for supplementing or even replacing diode logic. The last and perhaps most important thing you need for a computer is electricity. We know that the Baghdad battery existed back then. That's an interesting thing. If you don't know about that, there's another one to hit up on Wikipedia but it's highly unlikely that a plausible large array of them could power this hypothetical Roman computer. Instead, they would have had to use a generator. This is probably the most difficult part of this hypothetical computer to, to turn a we, a water wheel into a generator. They could have used a configuration like this again in the show notes. You can check out the pictures. It's really incredible stuff, but you need a magnet for that. Basically the only magnet they would have had access to is lodestone. There are a couple of ways that they could have made a better magnet. Um, and there's, there's the heating, um, above, you know, heating the iron above its curry temperature is one of the examples given as well as, uh, placing the item in an external magnetic field, uh, stroking, which is a magnetic process. All those are listed here, um, by iterating the process several times, several times to make successfully, successively stronger magnets. The Romans could probably have made some magnets good enough for a generator. It's important to note that I'm not a historian. I'm a computer engineer who is trained using modern techniques at that. So this is all speculation. He puts that in big bold. I think if you traveled back in time to the Roman Empire and told them how to manufacture this stuff, you could plausibly create a very modest computer. My main concern is powering the device. I still don't know if that would work well enough. But there's only one way to find out. Experiment. Are you an expert at Roman history or the kind of engineer who remembers using a mercury delay line? I'd love to hear about the tricks that they could have used. Um, and there's there's an update on this article where they go into a whole lot more depth. Um, now, I mean, that's all very technical. Okay. But the point is, is that they could have done it. Now, here's the key. Here's one of the keys. Would they know how? Do you get what I'm saying? Would they have an understanding? Okay. Wh- I mean, what do they even need a computer? Do they know they needed one and what could they do with it? Maybe, maybe, um, as far as the power thing, he mentions the Baghdad battery, which does create voltage, which the Baghdad battery. Okay. So they created electricity in ancient Egypt. That's the point of that. And what, what exactly was that used for? Now, a lot of people say it was used for electroplating things, which, you know, I think is accurate. They did do some electroplating with things like pyrite, etc. Um, but it's pretty weird that, that they knew about electricity and that, that they would just do electroplating when you know resources were kind of abundant, especially back then. Um, that's That's kind of an oddball thing for it to be used for. So you know there's people who speculate that that the Egyptians had light bulbs and that they powered it with the bag with Baghdad batteries and things like that. Um, you know it's all very, very interesting. and here's the real kicker is that. If certain groups of people weren't hell-bent, that's ironic, on destroying, you know, quote-unquote pagan knowledge or evil knowledge, maybe the Romans could have gotten this far. Uh, may, may, who knows what they could have come up with. I mean, the Romans came, like they said, their structures still exist 2000 years ago. There's roads that the Romans built that people still travel and use. Um, Romans figured out, you know, piping and all this stuff. I mean, the Egyptians kind of figured out plumbing too, uh, where they have it like, they just use simple gravity as to where the Romans had like a really good understanding of how plumbing works. Uh, you know, all, all these kinds of things. And, You know, so maybe they could have done it. And in fact, I'm kind of reminded, I I say this all the time, I know, there's an episode of the original series of Star Trek, uh, City on the Edge Forever, commonly voted as the greatest episode of Star Trek of all time, uh, written by Harlan Ellison. What a shock. And... In that there he's Spock and Kirk are using like vacuum tubes and all this stuff to to somehow figure out what's happening in history and, and you know and, and they build this like computer essentially that works off the tricorder and whatever. And he claims like he's like, Well, I, I'm doing this with stone knives and bearskin. And that's that's kind of the point, is that okay, this is this would be a computer made with stone knives and bearskins, but If someone, you know, know, like the Library of Alexandria, what if they said, you know, there's got to be a better way to do this than books? You know, because that's what the Internet. Everybody originally thought in the 90s, if you grew up in the 90s, what everyone thought the Internet was going to be was going to be for you to be able to read everything that's ever been written. That's all it was. They weren't expecting like all this downloading of files or at least not music and things like that. Um, It was just merely to have access to like the greatest library ever at least since the library of Alexandria and you know, could the Romans have had a desire for that? I think so. I think they could have come up with, or could have had the need for that necessity is the mother of invention. And then they would have started to try and figure this stuff out. And who knows what, what some of these people knew about electricity. The ancient Egyptians had a degree of electricity. Why wouldn't the Romans have started to figure that out? They had, Rome, the reason why a lot of people choose Rome to do this is because in Rome, suddenly for the very first time, a society, a civilization had leisure time again, had leisure time to think, to do, to be unorthodox. And it was even encouraged. It's, it's, it's an amazing thing. People don't think about that. You know, what's the real key to how to, to whether or not maybe the Romans could have come up with all these technological advances ahead of time. It's because they had leisure time. I know some of that was at the cost of human slavery. But today, we have that leisure time with no slavery, and look at what we're coming up with now. This is Brian Sovereign, and I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech. You're listening to Sovereign Tech with me, Brian Sovereign the man who always wears triple black. Sovereign Tech is a show about science and technology and how it can set you free. Remember, Sovereign Tech only endorses businesses and products that we genuinely believe in and support ourselves. If you have a product or website that you would like to have reviewed, you can email the show at SovereignTech at hush.ai. Please keep in mind that the reviews on Sovereign Tech pull no punches. Thanks for listening tech roulette you want to play it is time for tech roulette where we cover the stories that get submitted to me through the email account sovereign tech at hush.ai um, i'm debating on changing that email just to make it something a little more easier or a little more show relative somehow but anyway at the moment it is sovereign tech at hush.ai which is provided by hushmail um just a great, great service, especially if you're big into privacy or in getting things encrypted, uh, you know, your, your emails and whatever. So check that out. Uh, this week's story comes from a listener and it's from space.com. A great, great website. If you haven't been there, check that out. And it's strange Methuselah star looks older than the universe by Mike Wall. And Methuselah is a star and it's the oldest known star. We know that's why they call it Methuselah because in the Bible there was a, you know, a descendant of Adam uh, known as Methuselah who lived 936 years old or something along those lines. He's the, you know, if the Bible were recorded history, uh, which some of it may be, I'm open to that. Um, he would, Methuselah would be the long person to longest person to ever live. Um, course one of Methuselah, Methuselah's ancestors Enoch never died if that's true but anyway uh, we'll go on so the strange Methuselah star looks older than the universe the oldest known star appears to be older than the universe itself but a new study is helping to clear up the seeming paradons, paradox previous research had estimated that the Milky Way galaxy's so-called Methuselah star is up to 16 billion years old That's a problem since most researchers agree that the big, that the big bang that created the universe occurred about 13.8 billion years ago. Uh, There's a great t-shirt at at Richard Dawkins. uh, You can go to Richard Dawkins site, the Richard Dawkins foundation. And there's a great t-shirt they sell there that says uh, it took 13.7 billion years for something this perfect to come into come into being, uh, really, really great for the ego. I, I love that. Anyway, uh, now a team of astronomers has derived a new less nonsensical age for the Methuselah star incorporating information about its distance, brightness, composition, and structure. Uh, put all those ingredients together and you get a, an age quote unquote, uh, put all those ingredients together and you get an age of 14.5 billion years with a residual uncertainty that makes the star J stars age compatible with the age of the universe study uh, lead author, Howard bond of Pennsylvania state university and the space telescope science Institute in Baltimore said in a statement. Okay. So he's saying, okay, look by, by the science that we've got, it's uh, you know, it's 14.5 billion years old, but we can have a, you know, within a degree it, 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 it turns out to be okay. So the uncertainty bond refers to is plus or minus 800 million years, which means the star could actually be 13.7 billion years old, younger than the universe as it's currently understood, though just barely Uh, a mistake it's a mysterious fast moving star bond and his team used NASA's Hubble space telescope to study the Methuselah star, which is more formally, which is more formally known as HD one, four Oh two, eight, three. They always have those wonderful names for these stars. Interesting point. If do not fall for these scams, there are, there are scams out there where a company will say you can name a star and, you know, give it as a Valentine's day present. You name the star after your girlfriend or, or partner or, or whichever. And those are scams. The, the IAU, um, does not allow for generally does not allow for the naming of stars. So just a little pro tip there. Okay. Scientists have known about HD one, four Oh two, eight, three for more than a hundred years since it cruises across the sky at a relatively rapid clip. The star moves at about 800,000 miles per hour. That's 1.3 million kilometers an hour and covers the width of the full moon in the sky every 1500 years or so researchers said. So it's very fast. This thing moves. The star is just passing through the Earth's neck of the galactic woods and will eventually rocket back out of the Milky Way's halo, uh, a population of ancient stars that surrounds the galaxy's familiar spiral disk. The Methuselah star, which is just now bloating into a red giant, was probably born in a dwarf galaxy that the nascent Milky Way gobbled up more than 12 billion years ago, researchers said. The star's long looping orbit is likely a residue of that dramatic act of cannibalism. So the Milky Way swallowed up these like miniature galaxies, you know, billions of years ago. Uh, Hubble's measurements allowed the astronomers to refine the distance to to HD 140283 using the principle of parallax in which a change in an observer's position, in this case Hubble's varying position in Earth orbit, translates into a shift in the apparent position of an object. They found that Methuselah lies 190.1 light years away. Uh, With the star's distance known more precisely, the team was able to work work out Methuselah's intrinsic brightness, uh, a necessity of determining its age. The scientists also applied current theory to learn more about the Methuselah star's burn rate, composition, and internal structure, which also shed light on its likely age. For example, HD140283 has a relatively high oxygen-to-iron ratio, which brings the star age down from some of the earlier predictions, researchers said. Uh, in the end, the astronomers estimated that HD 140283 was born 14.5 billion years ago, plus or minus 800 million years. So, let's go. Well, well, we'll finish it up here. Further observations could bring the Methuselah star's age down even further, making it unequivocally younger than the universe researchers said. Uh, the new study was published last month in the Astrophysical Journal Letters. Very, very wild. I mean that—that's, you know, what what more can be said about it? That is just some wild, wild science. And you know, I have to. Here's the thing: it's give or take 800 million years. The universe is theoretically 13.8 billion years ago. I don't think that's theoretical. I think that's so. But you have a star here that is 14.5 billion years old give or take 800 million years that means it could actually be 15.3 billion years old instead of 14.5 that's a problem okay that is that is a definite problem and you have to be careful with science because you don't you, here, Here's a concern I have. Now, again, I do believe that the, that the universe is about 13.8 billion years old. I think that's pretty accurate. You have, you know, cosmic microwave radiation going out there that, you know, we detected and, you know, provide and that that detection provided a, you know, a, solved a very serious mystery, in my opinion. But here's the problem with some science that I don't like. And that is when you have they're coming at this they're looking at this star with the supposition and i mean technically i guess it's a supposition what you know however much you or i think it's theoretical or not with the supposition that the universe is 13.8 billion years old and so it's almost like they feel it, it seems to me that it, that if it, that their goal is to prove that this thing is younger than the universe their goal isn't to accurately age it isn't to accurately inspect it it's to somehow massage the numbers just right so that it fits within you know the present theory now i don't i i'm not i mean maybe they're not doing that but it feels like they are and i don't like that kind of science because that that keeps us standing still that that it's okay you know again i don't question that the universe is 13.8 billion years old I don't, but it's okay for you to do so. It's okay for Howard bond in, in, you know, in, uh, the, at Baltimore there, sorry. Um, for him to question, Hey, look, we've got this, we've got the star out there. It registers anywhere from 15.3 to 13.7 billion years old. And I'm going to question if the universe is actually 13.8. That's okay. That's science. To massage things or to intensely study things to make sure that it fits into your already, you know, presupposed theory is not science to me. I, 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 I feel like that just, you know, it's like, okay, like you remember the atom. Okay. We discover the atom, A-T-O-M and we have the Bohr's model. Okay. Named after Neil Bohr's. And the Bohr's model is very popular. People still use it to resemble an atom because it's, you know, it's a common symbol uh, and it kind of looks like a Star David. But anyway, the Bohr's model, you know, we we found out that actually, no, we think atoms work in an electric cloud or an electron cloud model to where the Bohr's model, you know, like I said, it looks kind of like a Star David. It has like these circles and the neutron, the electron, you know, positive, everything circles around the nucleus of it. But then we find out that they actually know it's more, it works more like a cloud. It, it works more like, um, it works more like the gas giant Jupiter to where, okay, there's a core and then there's all this gas around it. That being the electron cloud. Um, you know, so it's, it's good. It's a good thing every once in a while or all the time to question the very basis of what you're doing scientifically. I think it's it's very, very important. And, you know, what what worries me with this where they're trying to massage the numbers is that the evidence, this article, you know, and there's not a whole lot of links inside and out. And if a listener wants to do more research on this and get back with me, email me, SovereignTech at Hush.ai, go to SovereignTech.com. You can message me directly on that page and it'll show up right up on the page when I answer it or when I re- respond. Uh, it's a great, great way to get in touch with the show. Or you can go to the Google, you can go to the Sovereign Tech Balnea. we could start a whole conversation about this. Okay, go to Google+, go to the communities, and there's the Sovereign Tech Balnea. And, you know, if you look into this and you find, a, you know, you get a better understanding of their proof, it seems like their proof is awfully slim. Awfully, awfully slim. As to how they got these new dates, the, you know, the, these, these new uh, ages. Uh, like to be basing it upon oxidization and iron, you know, in, in, in the atmosphere, things like, or, you know, in its composition. Um, I understand how that works. I understand that because, you know, how, whatever percentage it has of that, uh, determines, you know, just how kind of old it, it actually is because it takes time for those things to develop, but that's slim stuff. I mean, that, that's really, that's not, it's just not great science. Um, because I mean, even that is, is more or less speculation. Um, you know, I mean, something, something I used to wonder now, admittedly, uh, you know, I I was raised Jewish, became a Christian later on. That's a long story. But when I was a Christian now, a lot of these, um, I was at one point a seventh day Adventist and that's a religion that I mean, that's a very precise religion and it's a very knowledgeable, like like it's a very encyclopedic religion. And what I mean by that is they're very, very knowledgeable of what they believe in. They know why they believe it. Uh, they probably know their Bible better than any other Christian group out there. In fact, a funny thing, like that, there was, um, a magazine, like a, a Catholic magazine in the nineties and it came out and someone asked them, you know, if they're asking the Catholics, Okay, let's say I just want to believe in the Bible. I don't want to believe in the, you know, in in the catechism of the Catholic Church or any of the ca- or canon law or anything. What if I just want to believe in the Bible? What should I? What should what Christian should I be? And the magazine said you should be a Seventh Day Adventist. Okay, so so even you know the largest Christian group in the world recognizes. Look, if you want to know your Bible, be a Seventh Day Adventist. Anyway, so as 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 you know, precise and crazy as Seventh Day Adventists are about the Bible. Um, they're the same way to some degree about science but they don't you know they don't want to look at the proofs of science what they do is they zero in what Seventh-day Adventists do other Christian groups do this too not just Seventh-day Adventists they just happen to be in my opinion particularly good at it um, is that they zero in on the mysteries they zero in on you know where science doesn't have an answer and you know a lot of things come to light in that, that mainstream science doesn't want to talk about, you know, and I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I mean, I just think mainstream science maybe hasn't gotten to it yet. You know, there's mysteries in science. There's ones that I've solved. Uh, there's the Fermi equation, which is ba- or the Fermi, um, paradox, which is based off the Drake equation. The Drake equation says that, okay, there's gotta be billions of planets out there that can support life. And then the Fermi paradox is that Uh, which goes against the Drake equation, the Fermi paradox says, okay, if the Drake equation is true and there's billions of planets out there, why don't we see them? And in my opinion, the answer to that, to the Fermi paradox, is that there aren't billions of planets that can support life. There may only be a handful in the entire universe. I know what the Drake equation is based on. Okay, but the fact is, is that with the Fermi Paradox, there there may only be a handful of planets in the universe that can support life. So, I take the Fermi Paradox and say, yeah, okay, no, there you go. The Fermi Paradox says to the Drake equation, inaccurate. But scientists won't do that. Scientists will say, well, it's just, it's a paradox, that's all. The, the Drake equation still exists. You see my point? They, they you know, they, they don't want to take these questions Um you know, these mysteries that, that science has, and and they just they got to give you a definitive answer. And I can understand that. I mean, I, I've been called to know it all before, and I like to have an answer for everything. Um, and sometimes I don't have a good one, and I'll just give it my best guess. But it's important for you to say that it's just your best guess. And that's my point, is that a lot of these scientists won't say it's our best guess. They massage things. They shift things to, to the numbers. Now, here's, here's something. Here's an interesting thought. And this is just a thought. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not saying that this throws all of science out the window or whatever. But this is just a thought. Is that, okay, we base the age of the universe partly on the cosmic radiation, that microwave radiation that's in the background of everything. Okay, it sounds like it's like these radio waves just going throughout the universe that are, that are expanding outward, which means that the universe started from a central point. Uh, where the central point is, you'd have to follow the cosmic radiation of, or, you know, the microwave radiation to find it, but light. Okay. A lot of our basing on like how old are stars, how old these stars are, are based upon light years. How long does it take for light for, you know, what's their distance? How long does it take the light from them to get to here based upon their size? Light travels at, what is 186,000 miles per second in a vacuum in a vacuum. Okay, that's a light year, and a light year is is that, that, you know, 186,000 miles per second multiplied to the time of a year. And that's the question. In a vacuum, but you have, does light get affected by gravity? Yes. How do we know that? Black holes. Black holes can suck in light. The point being is that light can be affected by gravity. And if light's affected by gravity, is that a vacuum? is it moving at 186,000 miles per second when it can get trapped by Jupiter or something much larger? Just a question. I'm, you know, and, and, and it may have an easy readily solution. And I implore my listeners to look into that solution and to look into, uh, the the answer to that, uh, because I think there is an answer out there, but mainstream science won't touch that. They, they, you know, they, they want to pretend that that doesn't exist things like that. Um, it reminds me of the idea of faster than light travel. Okay. Now faster than light travel. When I say that, I mean the ability to literally move faster than light. And I don't think that's possible. Can you quote unquote fold space to, because space and time are one thing. Okay. According to quantum mechanics, can you fold space to where, You know, you don't actually move faster than light. You just warp space. You just fold space time to where you end up to where if you go from ABCDE, you go instantly from A to E. That's completely different from what I'm talking about to go faster than light. I don't think that's, I don't think that's possible at all to travel faster than light. But, um, there are people out there who do the math that say, yes, you can go faster than the speed of light. I disagree with them. I don't think it's possible. Uh it's one of the reasons that I don't believe that aliens have unless they were on Mars uh, a long time ago. It's one of the reasons I don't believe aliens ever came uh to this earth is that faster-than-light travel is not possible and folding space requires so much freaking energy. I you know, I, I you got me. You already right, how that's done. But then you know, I just run a tech podcast. Anyway, I like that people question science. Question this! This is interesting stuff! Is there a star older than the universe itself? And what does that mean? This is Brian Sovereign. I'll be back with more.
1: Are you ready? I've never seen anyone so treated like a, a god in my
0: life. Brian Sovereign as guest co host tomorrow night, and so that should be a good show. On that note, uh, what we were, just, we're just added Brian Sovereign. Okay, we haven't... Oh. Is he good? He's, he's been in the audience. He's, oh, he's yeah, certainly we've... got opinions on things, yes. I'm so close to being like God, no one is above me. Mm-hmm. Okay, absolutely no one. I don't take <laughs> orders from anybody. And, uh, I mean, that, that's... How much closer to God can you get? Is there anything he
1: doesn't do better than everyone else? Oh, that's just his way of talking. He's one of the best. Break it down!
0: Catch Sovereign Tech, the show about technology and how it can set you free with me, Brian Sovereign. That's S O V R Y N at soundcloud.com slash Sovereign Tech. Wow. Wow. It's a website of the week. It is time for website of the week where I cover a website that I find particularly enlightening or useful or anything along those lines that I want to share with my listeners. Um, But before I do that, you know, at the end of the last uh, segment, I said that I just run a tech podcast. That's not true. I'm a genius. Okay, moving on. Um, The website this week is... Hannah Hoffman.net H A N N A H H O F F M A N.net. It'll be linked to in the show notes at sovereigntech.com uh, or at the SoundCloud page. Or if you want to be particularly daring, you can go to the Google plus sovereign tech page or the sovereign tech Belnea on Google plus. Um, Hannah Hoffman.net. Hannah Hoffman is a musician. She's a friend of the show, friend of mine, uh, a very, very intelligent woman. And she is doing free music theory courses now online, totally free through YouTube. And they are fantastic. Uh, there's, as of this recording, there are, in, there's an introduction and then two lessons, um, are music theory at the piano. And it's really, really cool. I mean, for one it's very informative and, and she's got a, Hannah has a great presentation style, uh, that I really like, but you almost get if you're a fan of first person shooters or first person games of any kind, you get like this first person view of her at the piano and it's very clever i haven't I haven't had the chance yet to ask her how exactly she's pulling off that view um but it's really really cool and music theory you know she's talking about things like like you know where did music come from um you know and and how you know pretty much how does music work that's what it's all about. And this is, I mean, it's just great, great stuff. It has, I think the production value is really, 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 really great and totally, totally free. Um, if you go to Hannah you, there is a donate, uh, section there. And, you know, if you get something out of this, I highly recommend you donate, uh, to her. And she does a lot of actually the show pork therapy, um, that the lovely and hyper-intelligent Stephanie Murphy uh, hosts, the theme song for that is actually done by Hannah Hoffman. I mean, and, and she's, so, I mean, she is a genuine, genuine musician as real as they come, um, and as talented as they come. So, you know, you're, you're getting the goods, you're, you're getting you're really, my opinion, a high end education from someone who really knows what she's talking about. Um, and actually, I've had kind of historical, like, conversations with her in the past. And, I mean, she has a very, very great interest in where, you know, in, in the real origins, going as far back as she can, you know, into into music and things like that. So, I mean, this is someone with a very all-encapsulating knowledge, very impressive um, uh, she does great work, but anyway, my point in bringing up that she also does, you know, the, she does ads, you, you'll hear ads for like, uh, the comic book quantum vibe, which is really good, which I might do as a pick of the week at some point. Uh, I really enjoy that comic. Uh, she does the, uh, the, the music for that. And that's very catchy. Everybody loves it. Um, and so I think I imagine through Hannah Hoffman.net, you could probably, if you're interested in, in paying for, for her, you know, for her work, her services, uh, as a musician, I'm sure you can do it through there too. And, and I, and that's fantastic. Um, and you can listen to a lot of samples on our website too. So great, great website, uh, especially now it is so it is absolutely educational. I've watched all of them and you know, so far. And I just, I think it's top notch work. I can't recommend it enough. Hannah net music theory classes, totally free world class. This is Brian Sovereign and I'll be back with more.
1: for 90 seconds on sex with Dr. Paul.
2: Here are some responses to the question on my sex survey asking women whether intercourse has felt better with certain partners. A 29-year-old woman says, I've had 12 different partners and each one is different. For me, some of the best sex I've had has been with someone I connect with on an emotional level as well as a physical level. The best sex is where the guy is willing to adapt and learn how I like to be touched and kissed not all girls like it hard and fast. If guys take the time to ask a couple of questions, the sex can be fabulous. A 26-year-old female says, I feel like kissing is a huge thing. The people who were the most amazing kissers were also the best lovers. A female age 36 says, I never really reached an orgasm with circumcised partners, but I sure have with the uncircumcised partner I have now. I orgasm almost every single time, and it feels great. A woman age 32 says, It helps if the penis has the size and shape to hit the right spots. Another woman age 29 reports, This is my first ongoing relationship with a woman. I wouldn't say it's less satisfying, but it wouldn't be able to replace sex with a man. That's because I like being dominant when I'm with a woman and submissive when I'm with a man.
1: For more, visit 90secondsonsex.com.
0: It is time for listener emails where the, and I do, I get a lot of emails and keep them coming, keep them coming, baby. Um, get lots and lots of email. Uh, some people saying, saying some very gracious things that they very much enjoy the show. Um, you know, they enjoy the production quality. They enjoy my, uh, my intellect. They, they, they enjoy, you know, something actually that I'm getting and, and this is interesting, um something I'm getting a lot of compliments on is how sexually open the show is. And that is totally on purpose. Uh, I I mean, I'll say that right out. Um, I, I want, I think that prudishness, you know, while I understand how, how it's been unfortunately forced on so many and many have had traumatic childhoods, you know, that, that have, that have, you know, Put this prudishness on people. I think prudishness is one of the things holding society back in a million ways. And it's holding a lot of people back from, from some real happiness. So I want people to get used to hearing, you know, very, not, not vulgar as in like, you know, crass, uh, you know, sexual stuff, but I want them to, you know, to be used to hearing, you know, sexual things being discussed and, and sex being celebrated on a show because other than actually actual sex podcasts, I never hear that. There's great sex pack podcasts out there. Tristan Terramino has an awesome one, um, sex out loud. I think it's called, and, and that's wonderful, but you know, I, I really, I'd love for my entertainment to be far more open about sex in general and to be far more free with it. You know, what's wrong with the word cock? Just say it. It's okay. You know, I mean, everybody can have their taste and that's fine, but I really think that, that, that sexuality needs to be far more open. We've come a long way, but I think we've got a long, long way to go before sexuality is in the mainstream. And why shouldn't it be in the mainstream? It's human nature. It's not just human nature. It's, it's nature itself like a pistol to a stamen. It doesn't matter what anyway, let's get to the listener email. Um, This is this listener email in particular is in response to uh, an episode a little while back where I talked about the four G's of liberty oriented uh, material, meaning that there was four G's you couldn't talk about those being gold, God, guns and gender. And my point was, uh, was that if if you never if you never question those and you never really talk about them or take a hard stance for or, or, you know, against if you never take a hard stance against. Um, you'll be the most popular person in the Liberty movement, but in my opinion, you'll just be in the echo chamber and nobody will know who you are. Um, now you don't want to be, you don't, you don't want to be contrarian for contrary's sake, you know, or for popularity's sake, you want to have actual thoughts on this, um, you know, and, and well-developed, uh, you know, philosophy, um, you you know, and, and again, thinking behind it, but anyway. So if you stick to those four G's, you don't, you don't question them. You don't argue against them. Uh, you'll be fine. So that's just a pro tip to the, you know, to any future podcasters, uh, you know, be pro God, be pro gold, be pro guns and be pro, you know, uh, don't talk about gender. You'll, you'll be, you'll be fine. And you know, I'm sure you'll get a lot of listens, you know, because you'll just say what people want to hear. Um, anyway so here's here's the email uh I have a few comments in regard to your latest podcast on the four G's. The listener will remain anonymous. I will always do that unless you want me to specifically mention you. Please tell me if you want me to specifically mention you. First one is about gold. Uh, I agree that most people misquote or misunderstand history of gold's value and role in storing wealth. It would be a mistake to infer that gold had no monetary value during certain periods where silver was the preferred store of wealth since different societies around the globe all sought after gold, silver and other precious, precious stones. Um, I'm less concerned about specific periods of time where silver was preferred over gold, but that gold and silver had over time been used to store wealth. Silver is more, silver is more accessible today, so it has more value to the everyday transaction. Ultimately though, what matters is that of its value to someone else. Value is subjective. I totally agree on on that point. Um, it it has a value because we all agree it has value and want it. It has more intrinsic value than paper money. So I'll stick with gold and silver. Uh, but I don't hold it to the end all be all of value. Okay. So, and that's fine. That that's, that was mainly my point that this, that this emailer gets is that look gold gold and silver are not the end all and be all of value because value is subjective. There's things like Bitcoin, which do have intrinsic value. In fact, Mark Edge, my co-host, uh, when I'm on Sunday nights, I'm on Free Talk Live. Um, he is a co he is the, uh, the host on, on Free Talk Live, and he made a great point the other night saying that the intrinsic value of Bitcoin is in that it cuts through all the red tape. There's no middleman. And there's pretty much no transaction fees. And I told, I think that's fantastic. What a great point to make, um, because I did a Bitcoin special where I made some errors. And one of them was that, you know, Bitcoin doesn't have intrinsic value. Well, I'm wrong. It does. And that's a great, great point. I love that. Um, I do. Okay he's right. And I mentioned this when I talked about gold, or at least in the past, when I've talked about gold on the show, um, that with gold, like, you know, the Byzantine empire was still using it, even though the Roman empire wasn't because Roman empire didn't exist. And so they were using silver. Uh, that is accurate that, you know, sure. At some point or another, someone was using it. Um, but my bigger question is, and I'm not going to go into it, but my bigger question on gold is, is how did it even become a store of wealth? And you can't say it's pretty because there's problems with that. And if anyone wants to email and have me talk about that more, you can email me at SovereignTech at hush.ai, just like this kind emailer did. Okay. Now he's talking about God this is the next G. I enjoy the arguments you make about Abrahamic religions. It's a similar point that I've been making for years. I consider myself an atheist. People will always take it personally when you attack their religion, even though you are not talking about a specific per- person's belief. Keep up the good work uh and just keep it civil and i totally agree uh and obviously he agrees with me so that's great so we don't have to spend any time on that with god um my point with the abrahamic religions was that god doesn't follow the non-aggression principle so how can you be an anarchist if you worship someone and you give your life over to someone that doesn't follow the non-aggression principle that was my question anyway uh guns i have to disagree with your assertion with your assertion about guns or people's innate desire for peace uh, I don't see it as quote unquote guns are evil and must be abolished. Like one side says, neither do I agree that quote unquote having everyone armed keeps the peace, uh, nor that reality fits somewhere in between those two. Okay. So that's good. At least, I mean, this emailer's is questioning, which is the main point of why I talk about anything, you know, is at least he's questioning the. The, the extremes. Um, there's a third more complication complicated option that I subscribe to. I believe that most normal folks who are just going about their daily lives may have a general desire for peace, but that there will always be those who are hell-bent on intending you harm, uh, financially, physically, etc. Or who... Aren't looking to intend or cause causing you harm, but who will do so when they think there are no consequences? An increased likelihood of encountering an armed victim does improve the odds on crime. Plenty of research have shown uh, research has shown us that it does keep the dishonest from thinking they can't get away with it, uh, and gives victims a fighting chance against people who don't care about consequences. I don't see it as keeping honest people honest and overly polite, lest they piss someone off, uh, as too many people spout. I agree in general principle that there are people who shouldn't be allowed to carry a gun, but I also believe in our social decree of innocent until proven guilty. Some people automatically assume the worst of people they don't know and will try to use that to justify taking away gun ownership or making it very difficult to comply with. It's a fear of the unfamiliar or downright differences in cultures that I lump into the same FUD as as racism, bigotry, religious hatred, etc. that people have had for thousands of years. You prove yourself to be violent or incapable of being safe with a firearm, then all means all, then all that means is something that should be dealt with. But in the meantime, uh, people who choose for themselves to own a gun for self-protection or to feed their family should have all the freedom to pursue it. Everything else on either side of the argument is all propaganda. Okay. Now now that's okay. His, his point's fair. And again, with guns, I, I feel like I always have to say this, um, but I'll make two points. One, I don't believe in banning guns. I don't believe in banning anything at all. Not guns, not rocket launchers, whatever. I don't believe in banning things. Okay. We got that. Um, the second point that I want to make, and this is, you know, now me not wanting to ban anything that fits in with, you know, pretty commonplace anarchist principles. And so I fit into the mold just fine with that. And that's great. But here's where my, my non-aggression principle or zero aggression principle, whatever, this is where mine goes kind of to the next level is that I don't believe anyone should ever be killed. I don't think any person's life person I said, no, um, should be taken. And you know, I, am not, I, I'd never take another human life. I have in the past. I've taken a lot of them. Um, I was in the military. I was in, I was in the army. And, um, I, you know, you get to a point where you say, no, I, I, I'm not going to do this anymore. And now I don't want anyone to go through the experiences I went through for them to come to the, the, you know, to, to come to the principle where they feel that they, they don't think they should take anybody's life. But that's, but that's it for me. I don't expect anyone else to follow that principle, but that is one of my rules. I have no interest. I will take no part in the taking of another person's life. Okay. Um, and as to where this emailer is saying, there are just some people that, you know, there's nothing you can do about it. And if they think they can get away with it, they're going to do it, uh, et cetera. And I, I think there's a deeper issue here. And I'm sure that, I mean, this emailer seems very intelligent, so I'm sure he's thought about this stuff. He was just making general, uh, you know, addresses. But we need to get society to gen to real post scarcity. Okay. Because that's, that's, what's going to stop the thieves telling people that stealing is wrong and that, you know, or, or, or somehow making them think that, well, that person might have a gun. So, uh, you know, I'll, I'll lay off. I won't steal from that person cause they might shoot me. You know, that doesn't solve theft. Um, theft is only solved by post-scarcity, by, by there being enough for everyone. Okay. still has to be earned, but it's a lot better when people can think, I mean, in the news, you know, the mainstream media, uh, the government, whoever, you know, they're, they're really big on this on making you think about peak oil or think about, you know, Oh, there's just not enough. There's not enough. L- l- let me tell you, there's plenty for everyone. There really, really is. And if there isn't science can figure out how there can be plenty. Science really can solve every single thing. It always has, whether we realize it or not. Um, the emailer also now he talks about gender and he said he was shocked. He wasn't aware that there was, you know, gender problems, whichever. Uh, so, you know, we don't need to go into that one. We'll, we'll stick with guns here for the last bit of the segment. Um, but with, with guns, um, you know, he's saying he, he does, he disagreed with me on, on that people have an innate desire for peace. Uh, I firmly believe that I do I don't for a second think that people are naturally violent and I'll raise a couple of points. One is that, well, a lot of people will say, well, if you go to this culture and that culture, if you go all over the world, um, young boys, you know, girls will pick up something and play with it like a doll and young boys will pick up a stick and treat it like a gun or a sword. Okay, swords weren't developed until at least 9,000 BCE, somewhere around there. Uh, Guns weren't developed. Uh, I mean, maybe China did it within the last thousand years, but otherwise it wasn't developed until about maybe five to six hundred years ago. Uh, So this boy that just naturally, innately, violently treats a stick like a weapon, that boy must be the biggest genius the world's ever seen because by five years old or four years old or however young, six, seven, eight, he figured out what a you know the the science behind the gun he's like oh yeah i could i could make a device that works like this that's what you're saying no he learned what a gun was from watching other people the little girl learned what a doll was from watching other people and it was a big societal thing okay my point is is that naturally people are peaceful there's a lot of nurture going on that would make them violent anyway email me if you disagree just like this emailer did this is brian and i'll be back with more In the third age of mankind, an age plagued by an evil empire that seeks to destroy humanity, it is our last, best hope for peace. It is Babylon Five. All fighters squadrons, launch! Get
2: us out of here! Return fire! them!
1: Well, watch Babylon Five.
0: You can watch Babylon Five and experience the greatest show in television history. See the entire series completely free by going to the WB.com shows Babylon five. Software of the week. It is time for software of the week where I bring up, uh, you know, great pieces of software that I think uh, can be helpful to my listeners um, or that I find useful and you know the big news past couple of weeks, this is being done in in March of 2013. has been that Google Reader is being cancelled. Google Reader is an uh, RSS feed reader. It's a news aggregator. It allows you to like collect all you know all the stories from your favorite blogs and sites all in one space. Very, very convenient. Very, very useful. Very efficient. A lot of people use it. And Google says, yeah, we're doing some spring cleaning. We're going to get rid of that. Um, and you know, myself, I don't, I never, I mean, I used it a few years ago a lot, but you know, different things have come around where it just, you know, I, I stopped using it. Things like Facebook or now Google plus where I can like get essentially a feed, um, and a very pretty one at that. Uh not that I not that something has to be pretty. I love a minimalist design. And speaking of minimalist design, this week's software of the week is a replacement for Google Reader if you must have that said design. And I think it's fine if you do, that's great. Um, I I totally understand. It's very like I said, it's very, very efficient. Uh, and this is Feedly. F-E-E-D-L-Y. Feedly, you can go to Feedly.com and look it up again. It'll be in the show notes. You can go to the SoundCloud page, soundcloud.com slash sovereigntech, S O V R Y N. And Um, feedly. I mean, in fact, honestly, I think it does the job better than Google reader ever did. Uh, it's very, very customizable. Um, it works in Chrome, it works in Firefox, uh, and it actually has really nice share tools built into it to where you can instantly share it, uh, you know, share it through email, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Tumblr, love Tumblr, uh, or even Google plus. So it's a, it's really, it's kind of a nice hub. If you're not the kind of person to like put out content, but just to like share it. I mean, this is great because you could become very popular just in sharing content because you can so easily from Feedly, um, you know, send it out to all these different social uh, media platforms, including Google plus, which is pretty rare that you can, that anything or, you know, it's pretty rare that, that that popular stuff, cross-platform stuff works with Google plus all the time. Uh, just because again, it's APIs aren't open. Um, there's an app for Android. There's an app for iOS. There's not an app for windows phone. Uh, just real quick on that. You know, I feel bad. I, I like windows phone. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful design. Um, but it just doesn't have a lot of apps for it. If I'll make it, I'll make sure if something actually does work for windows phone, I'll be very, very specific about that. Um, so, you know, I've gotten a couple emails, Hey, does this work with windows phone? Um, just to let you know in the future, you don't have to ask that I will, uh, you know, I will let you know if, you know, specifically during software of the week or whichever, if it does work with that. Um, so, I mean, and, and this, you know, it, it, Feedly has gotten great reviews from pretty much every tech site out there. Um, I'm not the only one recommending this, Uh, you know, organizations like like Twit uh, this week in tech. They're recommending Feedly. They have a show called Tech News Today, which comes out every day. It's great stuff. Uh, If you're not watching that, check it out. It's like 45 minutes a day and it's the best news you can get out there uh, as far as tech goes, you know, Um, and they, they, uh, you know, they recommend Feedly. And again, they came to the same conclusion I did where I just I was like, wow, this is actually better than Google reader. Um, and I, and I really enjoy it. I mean, myself, I use Google currents on my phone. I use my phone more and more now than I do, uh, my computer. And so Google currents, which, um, does exist for, for Android and iOS, I believe. Um, just does this beautiful presentation job and they have a bunch of audio features now and i think that's really why google reader even went away is because they're concentrating google's concentrating more on google currents but free feedly.com f-e-e-d-l-y.com check it out if you need a google reader replacement it is the best i'll be back with more what does freedom mean tune into lrn.fm to find out lrn.fm is the liberty radio network A collection of live talk radio and podcasts, all coming from a principled pro-liberty perspective. LRN.FM show hosts aren't left, right, or conspiracy kooks. You can tune in 24-7 to LRN.FM via your phone, computer, satellite, and more. Listen free anytime at LRN.FM. That's LRN.FM.
1: Brian,
0: stop playing those video games! Uh, 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 just a minute, mom. Game talk. It is time for game talk. My favorite part of the show. Um, this week we've got a really interesting article, uh, and I'll read the article first. Then I'll kind of go into, you know, the, the ethics behind it or whichever. Uh, this is from Kotaku. Again, I use it all the time. Um, And it's by Owen Good, great blogger. Uh, And the article is video games gave him the chance to prove he is an American. Whatever American means. Uh, Okay, so let's go right into it. Video games aren't what kept Jose uh, Munoz in his parents' basement for much of the past seven years, slipping into depression. They aren't why the former honor roll student, this is again, this is all about Jose um, uh, Munoz, Uh, dropped out of college and they aren't why he couldn't get a job video games aren't what sent him to a therapist couch and video games aren't what kept him on one in front of a kept him on one in front of a tv day after day on a couch video games in fact got jose munoz off the couch they gave him a chance the kind most take for granted Munoz, 25, is like a lot of Americans his age, the third of four kids with a mom who worries and dotes on him. He's a sport nut living in the self-styled bratwurst capital of the world, and for a city in Wisconsin, that's saying something. People from this part of the country have an accent that seems to smile at you, and that describes Jose, too. But as you've probably guessed, he is not a citizen of the United States, despite growing up, graduating from high school, and living here for the past 24 years. His family came to the country from Mexico City when he was one year old. They entered the country lawfully on a visa. They just never left when it expired. Much of the U.S. undocumented immigration, immigrant population ends up here in this way. I always felt different, Jose says. In school, he was put in ELL classes, English language learner, that is, which actually means someone who doesn't speak it natively. But that didn't last long. When they started putting me in regular classes, it felt weird, Jose said. My senior year, I was in an honors class with just 20 people. I only talked to maybe two of them. I'd just be quiet and pay attention while everyone else would be busting jokes and whatever. Jose knew from a young age that he and his family were not American citizens. I'd hear my dad come home and say things to my mom like, I can't go work there because they check, he said. That's pretty much how I figured it out. They check is, for an undocumented worker, a big red X over that business address. If you lie about having U.S. citizenship on an I-9 form and it's discovered at any point, it's over. You are forever inadmissible to the United States. That means you lose any chance at citizenship. While there is a don't ask slash don't tell structure to the labor economy of undocumented immigrants, where some employers either knowingly pay legal labor in cash or more benevolently assume their citizens without asking for proof. These jobs aren't in a field most would consider a career ambition. After graduation, Jose briefly enrolled at the community college taking marketing courses. It didn't feel right, he said. Jose hadn't taken the ACT to apply to the University of Wisconsin because, well, they check. And as a non-resident, he'd be, again, he was an honor roll student. And as a non-resident, he'd be paying the out-of-state rate, which is vastly more than the family could afford. The community college was a more affordable workaround. But one day, the pointlessness of a situation just came crashing down. I told my mom, what if I do well in class? What if I go out and get a job doing this? They'll ask for my citizenship, he said. Why should I go to school if it's not going to work out in the end? So he came home, sat on the couch, and picked up a controller. Again, this is this was, you know, a kid, advanced courses, you know, honor student, the whole thing. You talk to EA Sports. Do you think they'll make another FIFA World Cup edition, Jose says brightly when I tell him what I do? Uh, he's referring to talking to the blogger. Jose, I assure you, they will make another next year, I say. You know, EA Sports needs to hire me, he laughs. I'd put the Madden back into Madden. I tell him I hear that all the time and ask what idea he has that's so special. And He says, I'd bring back the soundtrack. Wait, the soundtrack? You mean EA tracks? The thing we all mute after a week of hearing it in the menus? It matters. That's where I found most of the bands I like, playing video games, he said. I gotta agree, Uh, I used to play Madden two thousand. Three, I think it was. And they would play like Bon Jovi in it. Freaking great. Anyway, Jose's life since graduation was really that clo- was really that cloistered by video games. He'd babysit his little brother and he'd drive him to school or his mom to uh, her work. Though his first license expired two years after he got it and he couldn't renew it. Thanks to a new proof of citizenship requirements. The state passed in 2008. This is Wisconsin. He took the risk of driving with an expired license. Anyway, I would still drive them because I'm a good driver, he said, sounding like every American his age. Then he'd spend most of the day playing Madden on his older brother's PlayStation 2 in he got an Xbox 360, whose 20-gig hard drive uh, today seems so small. Jose opened an Xbox Live Gold account using his dad's credit card, but registered it under his name and began filling up the drive with trailers and free game demos. Uh, WWE SmackDown vs. Raw 2007 was the first one he downloaded. Great game. At night, he'd create a lobby and chat with his cousins in Las Vegas. We wouldn't even be playing the same games. It was just me talking to them, Jose said. They'd come over, they'd come over here every summer. I, I really looked forward to, to them coming over here. Basically, in the day, it was TV, internet, then at nights, going online with my cousin in Xbox Live, Jose said. But his sense of purpose wasn't draining out as the days passed, empty and unused. Oh, yeah, I got down on myself, he said. The only thing that would make me feel better was talking to my cousins at night. Sometimes you can make yourself forget about it. But, yeah, he started seeing a therapist. His father offered ideas for jobs where Jose wouldn't have to lie to get on a payroll. But in the uh, nadir of his depression, nothing sounded like a good option. My feeling was I just want to work here. I've been here since I was little and it wasn't my decision, Jose said. Why should I be punished? Jose had moved on from Madden and FIFA to the other sports titles, as well as Crackdown and the Gears of War series. On Black Friday in 2011, I bought Batman Arkham City, he said, and it provided a solid distraction for a couple of months. He pre-ordered UFC Undisputed 3. I didn't spend any money on anything besides video games, he said. In June, the DREAM Act a proposed bipartisan immigration reform bill had stalled out completely in Congress. Thanks mostly to election year politics in response, the Obama administration issued an executive order called DACA meaning defend deferred action for childhood arrivals, meaning Jose and some 2 million people like him. Basically the department of Homeland security was offering a legal stay of two years, which are renewable to undocumented immigrants between the ages of 15 and 30 with this deferred action status in Wisconsin, they can get a driver's license. They can get in-state tuition. They can get a work permit. The news of DACA, D-A-C-A, sent about 50 people to Milwaukee to Deverin uh, Orkitch, an immigration attorney who has been practicing in that field since 2006. He acquired an interest in immigration law through work he'd done on a student project at Notre Dame Law School and was drawn back to it after... A few stressful years practicing as an attorney in corporate law elsewhere. Like Jose, he tried to manage that stress by playing video games late into the evening with someone in Las Vegas. I know this because, full disclosure, that someone was me. Dav and I are personal friends, having known each other for about a dozen years. Uh, we once set a, a point spread at, at, and bet on a CPU versus CPU matchup of our alma mater in NCAA football 2003. He won. When the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services began taking DACA applications in August, Jose and his mother visited Dav in his office. The requirements for DACA are straightforward. A person has to show they arrived to the U.S. prior to age 16, that they were under 31 years old on June 15th, that they have a high school diploma or GED or are currently pursuing one, and that they have been in this country and not left it for the past five years. Jose fit all of that. Except there is one problem. He couldn't prove he'd been living here since 2007. For a lot of my clients who are younger, the easiest way to establish continuous residency is that they're in high school with the transcripts, Dev said. Other than that, it's usually proven by utility bills, leases, or other rental agreements. The problem for him is he was born in 1987. He graduated in 2005. And since then, Jose wasn't working during this period and living at home. So he had no way to prove he'd been here for five years. Uh, I've had 50 cases of these cases. This was the most problematic one I had, Dev said. One of the important things about being a lawyer is to listen closely to your client and ask questions that could elicit information to help your client. Uh, So he went over Jose's life since 2007. Were you ever in the hospital? Were you going to the dentist regularly? Uh, No and no. What about the video games, Jose's mother said. All you do is play video games. Then it hit Dev. Jose, do you have any records of your game purchases, he asked. Yes. Jose has a record of everything he ever downloaded from Xbox Live during those sad, dead-end days on the couch, a record stretching 21 pages. Can you believe it? He played video games, he had a record of all those video games, and he proved that you know, he lived here and now he can be a citizen. Amazing. The citizen thing is crap, but what a what a great story.
1: Are you searching for a mouthwatering, all-natural, sweet and sticky treat? What if I told you it was also made by a chef who believes in freedom, just like you? You're not dreaming. This is real. Head over to mandrik.com. That's m-a-n-d-r-i-k.com. There you'll find George's famous baklava in classic and dark chocolate flavors. Mmm. To those with special health needs, George's famous baklava also has a treat for you: golden, delicious, low-carb, gluten-free almond cookies. Order with PayPal or bitcoins. In just a few days, your sweet treats will await you right at your doorstep. One more time, that's M-A-N-D-R-I-K dot com for George's Famous baklava. Hacker
0: Stories. It is time for Hacker Stories. Uh, I loved the last segment. I love that story. Obviously, um, I don't, you know, I, I hate this whole, like, these imaginary lines that exist between countries. I mean, here is this kid, Jose, who was an honor roll student, brilliant kid. Um, and you know, willing to work, willing to help out like with his family and everything. And you know, he, he couldn't go get like an actual job. I mean, I, and I can, I can imagine some people were like, well, the kid was just lazy. No, 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 no. He had some good points in there. And, you know, now he's off getting a job and everything. And it, you know, it's, it's a bit of a happy ending. Unfortunately, like I said, this whole citizenship thing is, is just, just nonsense, but how great for video games to essentially, you know, in a very real way, save your life and allow you to, or should I say, allow you to even live, you know, bring some real freedom to you. I think that's amazing. Anyway, it is time for hacker stories and (laughs) The United States government is in some degree of trouble, or at least the politicians are because it seems like it's an all out, you know, the hackers are are on an all out, uh, um, I don't want to say war, but, but they're, they're after them and people's like private emails are getting sent out. There's financial records going everywhere. Um, we'll go on this first one from USA today. Um, and this is, this is with uh, Guccifer. I'm guessing it's Guccifer. I don't know if it's Guccifer or Gucci-fur. I've heard someone say Guccifer. It looks more like Gucci-fur to me. But... So I'm going to say I'm going to say Guccifer. Uh and this is from USA today. Guccifer is struck again. This is the hacker who cracked into the email accounts of a Bush family member last month to disclose health issues of former President George H.W. Bush uh Bush. And this time Guccifer breached the email of former uh, okay, now also it doesn't mention it but Guccifer also like got these weird paintings of George Walker Bush. Who like like he was painting himself nude? You can find them online. They're, it's just kind of weird. I don't know. Anyway, especially for someone who's like you know the great Christian hero. Um, this time, Guccifer breached the email of former Clinton White House aide Sidney Blumenthal and circulated uh, stolen memos sent to former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton uh, regarding Benghazi, according to the Smoking Gun. Uh, so, so, (laughs) so this hacker finds stolen memos, uh, or, you know, is is circulating memos about this whole Benghazi Benghazi incident? You can, you can look into the Benghazi incident. Uh, it's just a whole lot of crazy, but anyway, we'll keep going with the story. Uh, USA Today tapped Michael Sutton, research vice president at tech security firm Zscaler for context. Okay, what stands out about this hack? This is like a Q&A. Uh, Sutton says, Guccifer is employing basic but effective tac- tactics. Rather than going after his ultimate targets directly, he's instead focusing on family and friends and compromising their public email accounts. This is the same technique that he employed when revealing personal communications to Bush family members last month. Such accounts can be accessed by resetting passwords that require little more than answering a few personal questions. Not a big challenge when the target is a celebrity. Uh, Reading between the lines, could this be uh, uh, motivated by an ideologue or maybe a disgruntled insider? Sutton says, it's difficult to say what the motivations were. At this point, there is little to suggest that Guccifer isn't a lone wolf uh, in it for, you know, yeah, there's little to suggest that Guccifer isn't a lone wolf in it for the challenge. While the memos to Secretary Clinton may have detailed sensitive information, the Bush family communications were largely personal photos and general commentary. Um, why, why is this worth keeping an eye on? Sutton says, uh, these hacks illustrate the growing security challenges that we face as users, uh, as end users, are increasingly in charge of their own technology infrastructure. These were not official communications being delivered via secure network. They came from an AOL account. Uh, while a former White House aide should know better than to send the Secretary of State confidential communication from a public webmail account, this sort of thing happens all the time. And then the question, anything else? And Sutton says, no, that's it. Okay. I got another story too, but, but let's, let's talk about this one for a second. Um, yeah. Who uses AOL? (laughs) Only the government is that far behind. Okay. You know, they're trying to, this guy's trying to paint this USA today. I think is trying to paint this as you gotta be, you know, really, um, you know, really diligent, And vigilant about your security and all that stuff and while there may be some degree of truth to that depending on how much you know privacy and security you want um this scare tactic is is ridiculous the average kid today knows way better what to use than obviously these people sending around secure memos about the benghazi incident come on I mean, I understand, you know, if I had, if I still had like one of my old Yahoo accounts, I think my first Yahoo account was tank program, zero, zero at com, and tank program, meaning it's, it's a, it's a name from, uh, from the Tron movies. And this would be back in like, I don't know, the late nineties or whatever. I'd probably still use it just because it'd be too cool to have, you know, it'd be cool to have something that old, but that's Yahoo. I mean, AOL, uh, uh, anyway, we'll move on. Um now, who else is in trouble? This is from the RT, and hackers publish CIA Director Brennan's financial records. CIA Director John Brennan is the latest member of the Obama administration to have their personal financial records leaked on the web. A credit report alleged to belong to Brennan, one of the newest additions to U.S. President Barack Obama's official cabinet, was published Friday afternoon on the website Exposed.su. The site made headlines earlier in the week after it published Social Security numbers, home addresses, and credit reports for a number of influential Americans from both Washington and Hollywood. The dossier on Brennan is the latest addition to the site that puts him in the company of a handful of other Obama administration officials, including vice president Joe Biden, FBI director, Robert Mueller attorney, general Eric Holder and former secretary of state, Hillary Clinton. Again, uh, additionally, exposed.su has released sensitive information this week, allegedly belonging to First Lady Michelle Obama, actors Mel Gibson and Tom Cruise, and the chief of the Los Angeles Police Department. The FBI, Sec- Secret Service, and the LAPD all confirmed that they are investigating the leaks when the website was first discovered earlier in the week. Since then, though, uh, he the administrators of exposed uh, have continued to publish information on celebrities and politicians. They're not stopping, uh, all the while eluding the authorities. The page posted on Friday with information on Mr. Brennan includes that what is alleged to be the CIA director's home address, phone numbers, social security number, and a credit report as prepared by the company TransUnion. Earlier in this week, a spokesperson for TransUnion told Forbes that they immediately launched an investigation within moments of hearing about the initial leaks. RT called one telephone number alleged to belong to Mr. Brennan included in the report and was told he was unavailable for comment. So it was real. RT was told that Mr. Brennan would likely not speak to the media about a leaked credit report, but, was first asked if the phone call was with a matter related to the government. The credit report was created on Friday, March 15th, and includes information on the director's past, student loans, uh, American Express cards, and auto leases, among other details. And if you're wondering, yes, the head of the Central Intelligence Agency is indeed up to date in terms of paying both his Banana Republic and Brooks Brothers cards. His account with retailers Nordstrom, however, is a whole other story. So RT puts in, you know, a little joke there. And, you know, I mean, people are like, well, this is private stuff. They shouldn't, you know, be looking into that. Like, remember when this happened to Sarah Palin and things like that. Well, we we have an issue here. Um, with the Hollywood people, th- the issue is a little more gray. With politicians, director of the CIA, things like that, um, what we have, we we have public servants. We have people spending our money, our, you know, our tax dollars, okay, that we are forced to by the potential use of the gun to pay the potential use of the gun against us to pay that you know they're spending our money and they don't have to tell us how it's spent they just don't you know the budgets that these guys agree on and use are largely classified and so they start freaking out when we start looking into their finances they have no problem looking at ours they do it all the time oh for the good of the country yeah but ethics cut both ways and you know i want people to have private stuff but they don't want me to have private stuff i mean you know private information but the government has no interest in me having private information the cia in particular i mean they they'd rather i never did So, are hackers the bad guys here or are they just evening the playing field This is Brian Sovereign, and I'll be back with more Sovereign Tech.
1: Oh, yeah! This is Stephanie Murphy, Sovereign Tech producer. You may know me from this show, but did you know that I have my own podcast? It's called Pork Therapy. Pork Therapy is a bit different from other shows. We cover current events, big ideas, and even relationship issues, all through the lens of how we can get more freedom in our lives. Oh, and you'll love Sex and Science Hour. Join me on my website, porktherapy.com. That's P-O-R-C-therapy.com. Now back to Sovereign Tech. What are you doing? I can't believe I caught you again. You know, Jesus doesn't approve of this little habit of yours. I know,
0: baby, I know it's wrong, but it feels so right.
1: Well, it ain't.
0: But I've been doing it since I was 12 years old.
1: (sighs) It's nothing but a sinful perversion of nature, if you ask me.
0: But baby, I don't ever want to stop looking at tech websites, new gadgets, video games, software, or any of that stuff.
1: Well, then I'm leaving.
0: Okay. Bye. Pick of the Week. It is time for Pick of the Week, where I get to talk about whatever I want to talk about. Um, it could be music, it could be comics, it could be movies, it could be software, it could be, you know, some kind of freedom related issue, some anarchist issue, some atheist issue, uh, whatever it it could, you know, it could be anything. And this week I think I'm going to talk about, I'm going to give you a little insight into Brian Sovereign, into the, the apex of Own Sauce. Anyway, sorry. I love that one. I don't think, I don't know how well it rolls off, but, um, oh, here, here's an intro before I get into the little bit about me. Someone wrote <laughs> a great, uh, i we talked earlier in uh website of the week, uh, Hannah net, and Hannah Hoffman, she, she wrote the song for, we mentioned uh, quantum vibe and, uh, another friend of the show, um, which actually brings me to two points, um, and the other, the other friend of the show, Marcus, he, he actually, he wrote, he rewrote the lyrics for quantum vibe to be about sovereign tech. And maybe I'll post it. I'll, you know, maybe I'll post it onto the, uh, the, the sovereign tech, the Google plus page. And then you can listen to the quantum vibe song when you check out the show notes for, uh, Hannah, you know, for dot net. you can go there. Um, and then you can listen to the lyrics, but, it's it's really good. It's good stuff. Um, in fact, you know, l- let's rattle them off real quick and, and I'm, I'm going to do my best to not like sing, but not to say that I can't sing. I actually, I think I can sing rather well, but, um, okay. Like normally the song goes quantum vibe. Well, in this case it's sovereign tech and it goes, the year two zero one three Brian's shows produced by Stephanie. He speaks of technology and outer space and dolphins in an orgy and as an intelligent race. Uh, I'm, I'm trying here, uh, self-proclaimed genius with a giant ego. Worst triple black wherever he goes on a weekly podcast to tell you and me about games, technology and Liberty sovereign tech. Now I'm not really singing, you know, I, but anyway, I'm just giving you the idea of the, the whole thing. And then there's there's a second verse. Um there's a sex bot girl he wants to greet her with his genetically enormous feature. Of course, his intellect is what I mean, but don't forget he's also a libertine. And then it stops in sovereign tech. Anyway, I thought that was great. Uh so that's kind of like that's that's like my first pick of the week. So we're going to do a couple pick of the weeks. How about that? <laughs> but I just, I thought that was so cool, you know? Uh, and, and in fact, what's, what's really cool about it is it it pretty, pretty well describes me, you know, giant ego genius. Um, the show is produced by the lovely and hyper intelligent, Stephanie, uh, my girlfriend, that that's just greatest person on the planet. And, uh, you know, I, I do, uh, you know, I do. I have talked about dolphins having an orgy and being an intelligent race. Uh, I consider them persons and, um, yeah. And I am a libertine. I am wholeheartedly a libertine. Uh, you know, I don't like drugs or alcohol or any of that stuff. It's fine. If you do, I'm just, that's not, that's not for me, but uh, in every other way, you know, I'm, I'm very much a libertine, a huge believer in sex. Um, and the, the genetically enormous feature, which is very, very funny, you know, of course, meaning my, my brain of course. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, we'll move on. But I just, I really enjoyed that. I love that. And I appreciate, um, yeah, I appreciate Marcus and them, you know, making that up. So, um, then let's, let's get into, okay. Like I said, I was going to, I was going to, you know, delve into me. We, we just talked about me a bit, but we'll talk about me a bit more. And what I'm going to talk about is my, my favorite band of all time. How about that we're going to talk a little music the very first episode of sovereign tech pick of the week was music uh, it was by a friend of mine tristan Perich, who who does uh, what he calls one bit symphonies where he makes music in one bit um you can you can go back to the very first episode of sovereign tech if you want to find out more about that but anyway this is my favorite band of all time and the band is the hottest band in the world can anybody guess what that who, who that's talking about there's only one there's only one band that opens up with that okay it's kiss and kiss the first time i heard them i was let's see i was born in 1981 and it was crazy nights was the name of the song that was also the name of the album that the song was from uh, and i believe that came out in 1987 and um yeah, I heard that, and and I started singing the lyrics at like six years old, and I think like my brother and sister, uh, my older brother and sister, they they thought it was just like really cute and funny that I did it, so obviously I kept doing it, and but it kind of stuck. It kind of stuck with me, um, and you know, I I the other nice thing was like everybody talked about how Kiss, you know, it's K I S S. Everybody says like, oh, that stands for Knights in Satan's Service and all this stuff, and. So, you know, when I got to be even more rebellious growing up as a teenager, you know, from being rebellious from religious matters, uh, that just appealed to me even more. Oh, it's like in these guys, it's in these guys' names, you know, that that, that they're, you know, they work for Satan or something. Not that I believe that there's a Satan. But anyway, you know, that all that kind of just meshed. And what really... um, (laughs) You know, a lot of people, when you think Kiss, you're thinking of the makeup, the black and white and all that stuff, you know. I mean, and these guys have been around since 1974. You know, it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's tough to imagine that, that, that they've made over 30 albums. I mean, and in fact, they've, from, from like 74 to 86, I think it was, or to 85, they released an, a new album. Not just The Greatest Hits, a new album every single year. And in fact, for the first few of those years, they released two albums a year with like 10 tracks on them. They weren't just like, you know, EPs, you know, and, and all the songs, they're all pretty good. You know, I mean, I don't like the 70s kiss as much as I like the 80s and 90s kiss. But, you know, I got to wonder where where did all the creativity go? Well, I mean, maybe they're unique in that kiss has a unique dichotomy where, you have Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, which are the main members of the band. Uh, the other two members—it's a four-piece band. The other two members of the band—they've—they've they've switched out with different people. One of them, the, a drummer replacement that they got, Eric Carr, who was really, really great in the '80s. He died unfortunately from cancer. Um, but anyway, the the two main guys are are Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, and maybe part of their creative prowess and part of their creative ability was that. These two guys are kind of, you know, Gene and Paul are are different in their styles. And so they were essentially like two bands in one. Like, you'll know a Gene song when you hear it and you'll know a Paul song when you hear it. And so I wonder now there's the great guitarist, Ace Fraley, who's off and on with them. Uh, you know, he has a unique style, too, that he always delivered. Um, but again, my favorite Kiss was in the 80s and Ace was not a part of that. So Ace doesn't hold as much meaning to me. But anyway, Gene, Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, you know, I think just their, their, their uniqueness um, is what allowed them to just keep coming up with, like to keep filling up albums with songs because you know, that they were like their own separate bands, but they just, they, you know, they'd play off of each other. And it is so, so cool. Um, so anyway, a lot of people, you know, you think of the makeup and everything in the seventies and all that stuff is good. And it was great because in the seventies, you know, it was, they, they were preaching, you know, uh, sex and rock and roll. Uh, actually neither of them really do drugs or drink that much. Uh, particularly Gene Simmons does not. Um, but anyway, you know, they, they were definitely preaching sex and rock and roll and in the 80s when suddenly you know the 80s are known commonly by both um you know if if you look at things in the american outlook you know by both conservatives and liberals the 80s is known as the decade of greed you know where uh You know, everybody was just greedy and everybody was kind of living it up. And and it's funny because people look at that. You know, everybody admits, okay, that the 80s was the decade of greed. You know, the economy was way up. Everything was, you know, was happening. And they look at it like it's a bad thing. Now, the liberals look at it as a bad thing because businesses were booming and, you know, like mom and pop shops are getting bought out and all that stuff. And then the conservatives look at it bad because when people made all this money and they could live it up, they started living it up. You know, debauchery. The whole thing—I mean, they—they were all over the place, you know, rampant, you know, wild sex, and I mean, just just crazy, you know. People were having the time of their lives, Um, and and so, you know, when when that era hit, Kiss just ran with it, and they did it. I mean, Kiss is always over the top. I think that's the one thing anybody can admit, whether they like their music or not. You know, Kiss is, everybody admits that Kiss musically is very theatrical. You know, when you go to a concert, there's nothing like a Kiss concert. It's just, it's, it's intense. It's way over the top. Everything's over the top. And so when the whole world, or at least America was going and living over the top, you know, and very opulent, um, they, they became, they had to, they had to one up themselves and become even more over the top and they did it. it. And it's, it's great. I mean, it's so cheesy, but it's so good, um, you know. And, and I mean, I can't talk enough about that. I mean, it, you know, they they just brought it to this whole new level. Every song was about sex. Every song, I mean, every I mean, they just ran with it. And I think that's so great because now when you listen to music, it's oh she left me, I'm going to kill myself, or. You know, th- this person, oh, everything's terrible. We're all going to die and everything's screaming and hatred, you know, and all this stuff. And who wants that? You know, who, who, who wants anything to do with that stuff? I mean, this is kind of a uh, regular theme, I think that gets talked about on Sovereign Tech, but life is amazing. It really is. Life is good. You know, I know, I mean, I'm an anarchist, I'm an atheist, you know, uh, in, in a very real sense, I have to deal with the world that is very religious and very controlling, both antithetical to my beliefs, to, to my philosophies. But even so, life is absolutely amazing and you can make it amazing. And it is. And when you hear these like kiss songs, like lick it up oh, all night, let's put the X in sex. You make me rock hard. Um, unholy, you know, I mean, I, I could just, I'd keep, you know, knocking them off. Bang, bang, you love gun. Um, <laughs> bang, bang, you meaning, you know, the, the lyrics of the songs I'm going to bang, bang you. Oh, the classic. Anyway. <laughs> uh, you know, live it up. And, and when your music, you know, I, I think a lot of times, you know, music says a lot about the culture and, you know, that's the culture that I want. You know, I, I think it's great to celebrate life, to be happy and not to be worried that everything's going to end, you know, because what is, what does that do? You know, even if you're a Christian, even Jesus said, what is worry going to do for you? Is it going to make you grow an inch? no, He's like, let tomorrow deal with itself. You know what I mean? And and I like that. I I actually I like that statement. Now he wasn't the first one to say that. Uh, there's plenty of people before him who did. He he never had anything original to say. But I just I I think that's fantastic, and and I agree. And so you know, kiss is all about living it up. And that's why, hands down, it's my favorite band. It doesn't hurt too that they're also comic book heroes. Um, in fact, in 1977, they made a comic. They, there was Kiss Number no. One that Marvel released, and they even put in their own blood in the ink. You know, they had they had the ink machine where you know that that stirred everything up, and they poured vials of their own blood into it. So, if you bought Kiss Number no. One back in 77, um, you have some of Gene, Paul's, Ace, and Peter's DNA. <laughs> you can't beat it. Anyway. This has been Sovereign Tech. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please do not hesitate. Go to SovereignTech.com. Check out Google Plus. Please, let's make Google Plus a thing, okay? I implore you. And don't forget you can email the show at SovereignTech at Hush.ai. This has been Brian Sovereign.
1: This has been Sovereign Tech. Visit us at sovereigntech.com. That's S-O-V-R-Y-N-Tech.com. There you can connect with us, see more of what you've heard on today's show, and catch our podcast feed. Sovereign Tech is open source. We encourage you to share.
2: Later, nerds.